Hello and welcome to this latest edition of the FT Advisor podcast. I'm David Thorpe, Special Projects Editor at FT Advisor. Today, we are looking at the options available to investors battling with the present very high levels of market volatility. The reality of high inflation and the prospect of higher interest rates, coupled with the present elevated level of geopolitical risk, make it a particularly tough time to be in markets. Joining me today to discuss the topic are Peter Fitzgerald, Total Return Fund Manager at Aviva Investors, and Peter Doherty, Fixed Income Investor at Sanlam. Thank you both for joining me today. We'll start with you, Peter Fitzgerald. Given the unusual nature of the recession and the recovery, how sure can we be that assets will perform as they have in the past at this point of the cycle and the correlations that have been viewed as always there will be there again this time so so first of all i think it's really difficult to to predict the the future and the future direction of markets at the the majority of occasions that that's even more challenged today um because one doesn't even know what part of the cycle you're actually in given the the extraordinary nature of the previous recession where you actually saw household balance sheets improve rather than deteriorate and where you saw in many cases corporate balance sheets actually also um, improve and remain relatively robust. I think the, the, real, the real challenge is in the, the fixed income area, which um, I'm, sure, I'm sure the other Peter will be able to talk to in greater detail than me, um, but I think that's the area where one's going to see probably greater challenge in terms of the, the possibility to make returns by, by, by returns, I'm talking about positive absolute returns rather than relative. Um, with, within within equities, while, while this year may have felt quite quite difficult, and and, uh, and I don't claim it hasn't been, you know, the reality is the S and P is only down about three and a half percent in the first quarter of this year. Um, Euro stocks is down obviously a bit more, um, and it, and it's been the sector rotation within some of these indices where you've seen extreme extreme turmoil. So it, it's quite a it's quite a, a long-winded way of, of saying index level. I think returns are going to be challenged. I think there are sectors within indices where where returns will be positive, and I think some of the real challenges are within the fixed income area, but also within the context of an overall portfolio. What what role do some of those traditional fixed income assets play in terms of providing diversification? Because they, they certainly haven't protected. And portfolios so far this year. Thank you for that, Peter Fitzgerald. Um, Peter Doherty, it's often said that uh, the bond market, the entrails of the bond market are where one can can read what's what's coming to the rest of the, the world. And, and Peter Fitzgerald has, has sort of indicated that, that maybe that's where the volatility is particularly being felt. But what does it feel like in, in your world right now? Are assets behaving as you thought they would? Are correlations there as they have been in the past? Yeah, hi. Uh, thanks, David, and thanks for your uh, early comments, Peter. You know, very useful. Yeah, I, th- I think the uh, one of the themes I've got for this year and, and for the next, uh, you know, two or three, assuming that we end up in this challenging cross-current environment with with what looks like the sort of environment where rates should be going materially higher, as, as Peter mentioned, you got, you got fairly uh, robust strength in the household balance sheet, corporate balance sheet, so you can kind of you can kind of weather. Uh, a rate rise for a while, so that's kind of normal. But then on the flip side of that, you know, the nominal outstanding on debt is so large, and the impacts of rate rises in terms of leverage in the system will be felt quite quickly. 
So it's a very challenging balancing act to kind of you know manage through that for the central banks. And what we're seeing is the the sort of unwind of, of really a very easy period to make money for about a decade. And, and I think we've all been around uh, a lot longer than one decade. So we're getting back to the sort of volatility and kind of market moves that were really normal 20 years ago, 25 years ago. So I'm not enormously phased by what's happened in 22 so far, but it is a big change for, for many people. And that's so, so my, my answer is that one solution to that, and it sounds so basic, but really you've got to make sure you, you own what you want to own. And that's a discipline, you know, and it's very easy to be tempted into things that look kind of, you know, peripheral of your, your core competence or core, core skill set, and they're a definite no-no. And then I think one other feature, which is kind of a little, little bit of a sort of side issue, is for investors, whether it's personal, corporate, you know, pension fund, insurance company, you want to be matching your investment and your risk to the time horizon that you have for holding that asset. So you know, my, my simple example are always, look, if you're buying a house, that, mark, that money shouldn't be in the stock market next week because you're going to be putting down payment on a house. You don't want to be selling at the wrong time. Equally, particularly in a high inflation environment, you don't want to have too much cash or too, much low risk, too many low risk assets because that's going to have a significant negative impact over time. So that's, that's kind of a couple of, of themes. And then in terms of the fixed income space, Look, the the government bonds, supranational sovereigns, uh, all that uh, stuff, which is zero risk weighted for bank investors, for for insurance companies, and then uh, you know they they fit into the framework of, of pension funds. You know, a large part of that market, you know, is uninvestable for real money investors who who, who are looking for total return because the, the the bid for that stuff is driven by a non-economic factor around regulation, and so. What you've got to be thinking about is how much risk do I have to take to match inflation after fees? That's kind of your first stopping point. And that, that's a much more challenging ask than maybe it, it could be or certainly has been. And so, and I don't mean by that, how do you make 8% given the, the very high uh, current rates? I mean, how, how are you going to make three to four consistently with low risk? Yeah, that's kind of the job now, the fixed income manager, to get away from probably most government bonds, probably a large part of the investment grade corporate bond market is going to be very difficult. I mean, mathematically impossible to deliver a positive real return. So, you, so you've got to go into different assets and, and, and have some real expertise in stock picking, if you like, in that, that sense. So that's kind of my my theme on that on that market. Thank you for that, Peter Doherty. We'll, we'll stick with you for the next uh, question, please. In the sort of environment that you've uh, described, as a bond guy, can you view the crisis as as an opportunity that you don't want to waste, or is it simply a case of hunkering down, protecting as much capital as you can, and waiting for it all to be over? Which tends to be how I manage my portfolio, but that's why I'm this side of the camera <laughs> and you're that side. Yeah, no, look, I I really I'm I've been quite uh, encouraged by the opportunities that are opening up in front of us, and so as we've had a slight window of opportunity for issuers to come to market you've seen in our space uh, in the subordinated uh, debt markets you've seen deutsche and rabobank come to market this week both at very attractive levels probably you know 50 to 100 basis points back of where they might have come you know six months ago or, or maybe a bit more even so that's a function of the underlying rates having gone up then also obviously credit spreads a bit wider and so you know from my point of view 
uh, in the fund we're running in this uh, in this hybrid capital space, and then the other credit stuff we're looking at. You know, our job is to try and compound at mid single digits after fees, and that's become much easier now. You know, if we looked at where we were, we did talk at the end of September last year that the market was probably fully priced. It's kind of hard to do your job that well because things were so expensive. And so, yeah, we've had a repricing, but from here, corporates and banks and insurers will need to come to market, will need to raise capital. As that refinancing comes through, uh, we're going to get paid a good new issue premium on top of a higher underlying government rate. And so, you know, we've got a, most of the stuff that we think is absolutely going to pay in full and on time. Um, that's going to help us meet our target return now without too much uh, effort. But the flip side of that is you've got to wear some volatility, right? I mean, you can't expect to not be underwater for maybe long periods of time on some securities that you buy. It doesn't make it a bad decision. It means that you're not looking for perfection every day. Well, I, I'm not. <laughs> so, yeah. Thank you for that, Peter Doherty. Uh, Peter Fitzgerald, are you looking for perfection every day? Um, or, no, to put it in a more in a more sensible way, are you seeing lots of, um, as a total return manager, obviously managing volatility is, is kind of uh, in your in your job description, um, but are you seeing uh, opportunities amid the crisis? Are exceptionally cheap things being thrown up that you can invest in? Or is it is it a case of, just keeping the volatility as low as, as you can and, and waiting for, for opportunities when the world hopefully gets a little yeah. better. So, so there's some, quite a lot of questions wrapped up in there, David. Um, Peter, uh, I've interviewed you enough times, you know that that's what's going to happen, right? Yeah, so, so the, I mean, I mean, first of all, when, when it comes to keeping volatility as low as possible, that, that's a no-no. Um, we're, we're ultimately paid to take risk and make money for clients. Now, we have to have an eye on protecting capital, but but ultimately you're paid to take risk, not just to simply protect capital. If people just want to protect capital and not make any money, they can leave their, they can leave their money in the bank or do something else with it. But, but they're not going to pay us you know, 75 basis points to effectively just retain, have a low volatility. Clients buy a return stream, they don't buy volatility. Now, now in, terms of, in terms of perfection, fully agree with, with the other Peter is, you, you're not going to get all your decisions right. It's about having getting more decisions right than wrong. And then the decisions that you get right, can you make more money on those than you lose on the ones that you get wrong, which in our, our world we call a hit rate and a skew. And you can simply, with those two numbers, work out whether you're you're doing a good job or not. Um, in, in, in terms of hunkering down, um, I don't think that's appropriate. I think there are opportunities in the current market. They're not easy to, to identify. Um, and you're going to have to have a slightly longer time horizon with your investments but also be willing to change your mind if if the facts change on the ground so so it's it's sort of a a way of saying i mean all all volatility is 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 the 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 variability on a return stream that you're looking for and and if you're reasonably confident that that return stream is going to come and that the underlying assets haven't been i would say um hit in such a way to permanently uh, detract from their future returns, you should actually be willing to buy more if something goes against you, if you've got the the thesis uh, correct. Um, and and uh, that's not always an easy thing to do, uh, but it's what ultimately we're paid to do. Thank you for that, Peter Fitzgerald. And we'll, we'll, um, we'll follow up with you for the, for the next question as well. Um, how do you think about fixed income allocations in the, in the current climate, um, given that I don't know, the UK, 10 years, 180, I think, and inflation's four or five times that, maybe. 
what can you do now with bonds? Have you got your lowest bond allocation possible or your highest or where, where are you with it all? It's certainly not a, not our highest. On, on the absolute return strategies, we're net short duration. So we are actually outright short bonds. That's worked this year. There are times when it doesn't work and I can see an environment in which that would not work. But the, the real pain is, is in some of the balanced mandates, for example, where you you've got a 60-40 mandate, you have to hold fixed income and you're losing on both sides of, of that of that equation. In terms of I thought I thought the other Peter made a made a good point in terms of there are a series of investors that have no choice. They have to hold fixed income instruments because of regulation or because of their particular mandates. If your mandate doesn't require you to hold government bonds today, I think there's a very limited reason to hold core government bonds within a within a portfolio at the moment. But that's that's a function of where we think interest rates uh, are going, particularly um, in the US, which is leading most bond markets um, higher. In 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 terms of your your comment with the UK, um, I think the UK is really tricky. So so first of all, you've had negative real rates in the UK for a considerable period of time. They've just got more negative. So so that's not that's not anything new, and, and you have a. Um, a spike in inflation, which to some extent is out of the control of the bank, right? That's that's been driven to some extent by energy prices and by a very tight labour market. And and horrible to say, but I'm not going to go into the politics of it. But ultimately, that labour market is even tighter than it normally would be because of the UK's policy towards immigration, right? So so you've got a number of factors that are outside the the control of the bank, with a very um, well documented uh, phenomenon in the media, which is the cost of living crisis. So raising interest rates is, is not necessarily going to address a number of those points. It's going to make some of them actually actually worse. So the, the banks actually in the UK, I think, has got a particularly um, difficult challenge. But, but even still, would I be long uh, bonds in the UK? Maybe at the front end, right? Maybe at the front end. So if you're looking at maybe two-year rates in the UK, um, they're now pricing in quite a lot of rate hikes that some, some they may not all be um, materialized but i wouldn't necessarily be holding longer dated bonds in the uk thank you for that um peter fitzgerald peter doherty i don't think you can go net net uh, net short bonds uh, given what given what you do but as a bond guy how do you view uh very high inflation what what does it provoke you to do in terms of where you go in the bond market so in terms of managing through this environment as a as a fixed income manager what we look for is maximum yield for a given duration with a constraint of expecting to get paid in full and on time. So, so it's where do you invest uh, with the greatest unit of return for a given duration given a zero default target? So there are things that you could do which give you a high nominal yield, but by the time you've adjusted that for a default probability and recovery rate, then you're going to be offside. So that's kind of our, our world. And, you know, thankfully for us in the sub debt space, there's enough um, sort of you know, toys in the sandpit to actually do some interesting things and, and, and deliver on that over a period of time. But again, given the repricing in Q1, you know, that does require a, that that has created a drawdown in the sort of nominal on the fund. Um, and that's just part of the repricing. So, again, we've always said the fund is supposed to be a multi year investment um and by that we don't mean 10 we mean sort of you know two or three um and so 
the, the, the exciting part for us is that you can buy really investment-grade securities or crossover securities, you know, uh, strong double Bs with that mid-single-digit return. And that should be compounding, again, over time, once rates settle down, let's say you get, you know, a couple of hundred basis points up in the US and maybe another 50 to 100 in the UK, maybe 100, 150 in Europe to get to some sort of holding pattern maybe towards the end of the year. Then you'll start to get sort of carry and roll down effects and other things that you can, you can you know, get some extra return for the portfolio. So, yeah, I think if you can go short duration, great idea. If you're going to be invested, you know, stay somewhat short or pick securities, which over time, it could be long duration preference shares, but they're, they're, they're yielding 7.5%. You know, that's got to be something that you should be owning, really, as, as, a, as an investor with some ability to take some, some longer term positions. So, I, I, and, and the, the bit you want to avoid, I think, is that sort of middle ground where you've got, you know, single A, double A corporates, long duration, not much yield. You move 100 basis points on that security, it's going to take you six or seven years to get that back from the subsequent uh, yield that you own. And that's not amazing. So that's kind of avoid avoid that stuff if you can would be my my, yeah. my mantra. Yeah, I'll just throw, throw in there, David, that I suppose during the volatility in March, there, there was an opportunity and we, we did it on, on the margins to add into both European and US high yield as those spreads kind of blew out through 400. So, so there are opportunities to lock in those, those yields. Um, and that, that makes sense when you, when you get those, those opportunities. And just to put it in perspective, the, the, those high yield spreads were trading kind of 250 maybe through much of 2019 and even back at 2018 they were trading at 250 275 so if you're getting in at 400 on some of the high yield names uh, and it's part of a growth portfolio i think that makes sense yeah thank you for that peter fitzgerald and peter doherty that takes us neatly to the next question almost as if i planned this peter fitzgerald has the volatility and just the market conditions that we've seen here today have they thrown up any genuinely cheap asset classes in in your view given that i think the refrain from many investors for for the decade after the gfc was that everything looked expensive does anything look cheap yet so so i i think there was a number of cheap assets last year particularly with the huge focus on on everything esg has actually thrown up some anomalies particularly where you could last year certainly buy shares in energy companies and mining companies which may not have had the best ESG scores, but they were still uh, relatively well-run businesses, some of which had uh, concrete plans to transition and had net zero targets, which they were working towards, but they weren't the darlings of the ESG investor. So you, you could actually have bought these businesses where you had dividend yields of 5 6% in a world where growth was improving and there was quite clear that there was lack of exploration in oil uh, for example, and that supply was going to be constrained irrespective of the Russia-Ukraine crisis. So, so some, of the, some of these opportunities were things you needed to, to put in place before the volatility that we saw this year. And as I say, while there have been some reasonably large corrections during February and March, at the end of the day, the S&P is only down 3.5%. So I don't think there's anything trading at, at very large discounts um, or, or distressed valuations today. There were opportunities in March, for example, to buy European dividends, which saw 10 to 15 percent falls over a couple of days because they, there were distressed sellers there. Today, if somebody said, where, where do you see the real opportunities? I think they're there. They still remain in the energy space. So if you look at some of the oil majors, you can still earn reasonable dividend yields on those businesses, which I think are pretty robust. 
You can earn almost 10% dividend yields on some of the mining companies. Again, in a world where commodities, I think, are going to be reasonably well supported, that looks like a reasonable place to put some capital. You've got markets like Brazilian equities, which have for a long period of time have done particularly poorly. But again, year to date, they're now up sort of 14, 15%, and you can throw the currency on top of that. So there are opportunities, but they may not look the most glamorous, but but they do exist. Peter Doherty, within fixed income land, you've you've mentioned a number of individual uh, securities that you've bought, but at the at the bigger picture level, are there particular parts, I guess, within the within the credit spectrum that look outright cheap to you right now, or is it on the govy side, is there is there any of it that looks cheap? Yeah, look, I, th- I think again, without a regulatory driver, uh, we'd be avoiding you know govies and and sovereigns and supers uh, unless there's some part of a mandate that has to own those. They'll prove to be fantastic securities to have issued for the governments and the uh, the borrowers over time. If you think about some of the the joint and several EU bonds that were issued in the last couple of years, I mean they were issued at zero yield for twenty years, and if you compound a you know a couple of cent inflation over that period, then you'd, you'd guaranteed to be uh, in a very good position as the borrower. You know, from our perspective, if you think about the the balance sheets of the banks and insurers. I mean they are obviously notoriously challenge businesses and at times they get they're very leveraged and manage to fall over themselves every now and then but there's still a significant dividend retention sort of backlog from the covid moratorium from from 2020 and the you know, the capital positions of those businesses are very strong you've got to keep an eye on a possible turn in the credit cycle because you know net charge offs are still you know derisory from the banks versus historical recessionary type level so there will be some stress on those numbers but if you think about the the quality businesses a lot of them have been through their sort of lightning strike gfc and then subsequent massive increase in regulation and regulatory capital discussions have, have been you know punitive for them so they're in a very good position and they're issuing now securities which are going to pay you let say mid single digits on a running basis and then you might end up with a you know heading towards you know high single digit compounded as you get a sort of carry and roll effects they come into call or maturity so they're, they're great numbers i think if we can do that for fixed income investors uh, that's going to be you know job well done uh, but it will as as uh, peter mentioned there'll be some other volatility around that and you've got to pick your pick your points so i think if you if you do you you know it's a bottom-up stock pickers market in my view basically and so you you pick assets on a serial basis one by one you're making your bets if you like and, and that capital gets allocated on a disciplined basis and over time you'll you'll end up winning basically that's kind of the game rather than taking from us a, a big macro bet or saying you know we know where inflation is going we know where credit spreads are going or the yield curve that's not really likely to end up with great success i mean there are a few a very small number of successful macro trading houses around the world and we're not one of them so that's fine but yes it's a stock picking market is what i would say thank you for that Peter Doherty, and thank you to Peter Fitzgerald. Peter Fitzgerald, Total Return Fund Manager at Aviva Investors. Peter Doherty, Fixed Income Manager at Sanlam. Thank you both for joining me, and thank you all for listening. Do remember to tune in to the next edition of the FT Advisor Podcast. Goodbye. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 
Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.